This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Welcome back to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. I'm here again with my co-host, Leslie Bennett. And today, we're going to talk about the importance of ministry leaders being readers. That's right, Jimmy. I know we always told our kids, I think we pretty much drilled it into them, that leaders are readers. We used to have contests in elementary school. They had to read a million words to get their million-word reader (laughs) certificate. So it was super important. Yeah, I don't know if I would have gotten that when I was in elementary school or not. However... Reading is important to me. It has always been important to me. My parents also drilled reading into me when I was a kid. And one of the things that I have a concern about for pastors and other busy ministry leaders is that we don't tend to take enough time and set it aside for reading. And there's a few people for whom reading is just such a a habit and a passion that they Mm -hmm. do it naturally. Some others of us, like myself, we're only going to read if we read intentionally. And so... I do have a concern that for ministry leaders, especially pastors, their intellectual life can atrophy. And so they can actually get out of seminary and basically never read another serious book. They're or maybe probably not so even, sick of it. They don't want to pick up so, another book. There is that, but it doesn't matter. Like, it wouldn't be a shame if you graduate from seminary at 25 or 30 years old, right. and then you're basically, your intellectual development is done, and you're just kind of living off the past for the rest of your life. I don't think that's what God wants for us. That's good. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I have about six books on my nightstand. I'm, I think I'm reading them. I read a little bit, and then I, I'll pick up something else, and I'll start to read again. So I know it's a discipline. I mean, it really is you have to discipline yourself to be intentional about what you're reading. Well, today we're going to be talking to Trevin Wax. He works for Lifeway Christian Resources, and Trevin is a public intellectual. He is a friend of mine. I actually got to teach him for one course when he was doing his PhD. And uh, Trevin and I have just developed a relationship over the years. And one of my favorite things about Trevin is he writes a lot in various platforms he'll talk about, but a lot of what he writes are about what he is reading. Okay. And so I'm always interested in some of the things that I read are inspired by reading what he writes on the various platforms. So I'm excited to talk to Trevin today. Let's go ahead and go to our interview. Hey, Trevin, welcome to the podcast with myself and Leslie Bennett. Why don't you talk to your our listeners just for a moment about your background and your family? Well, it's, it's really good to be with you guys. I grew up in Middle Tennessee, uh, was a, a family that was a, a devoted Christian family, came to faith at a pretty young age, and during my teenage years really was was seized by uh, passion for the mission of the church, for evangelism, for missions, started going on foreign mission trips to international mission trips, would go to Romania, and so wound up moving overseas, doing mission work for about five years got married during that time, and then wound up through a couple of other stops around the back in Middle Tennessee, where now I'm, I'm serving at Lifeway as the director for Bible and Reference. So I oversee all of the, the Bibles we publish, commentaries, things like that, and that's that's my current role. My wife, Karina, and I have been married. This year will be 17 years, and we've got three kids of different ages, and not as many as you, Jimmy. 
not as many as you. Not many people do. Well, there are some that have more. Hey, uh, so did you meet your wife while you were living in Romania? I did. I did. We actually, we met shortly after I moved there and about a year later began to talk and get to know each other. Setting up an Awana group in a, in a small village, actually, is how we got to know each other. So a relationship forged in ministry from the beginning, really. Man. So there you go, kids. Go on a mission trip. You can meet a nice Romanian girl and that could change the rest <laughs> of your life, especially when you're, you know, romancing over cubbies and sparkies and that kind of thing. That's Hey, listen, Trevin, you are a public intellectual. You're a published author. And besides that, you edited the Bible. So I love talking to the people who write the Bible. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about your view of the intellectual life of a pastor or a ministry leader? Well, this really goes back to us thinking like missionaries. And I think church leaders and pastors, we need to we need to know our the cultural context that we're called to serve in. So to do good and effective ministry and to be on mission in it's going to look different based on the location we're in, based on the kind of congregation that we are serving, based on the the city that we're living in. And so I think it's important for us to not seek an intellectual life as pastors just for our own sake, but to to really want to know, hey, what are it's kind of like if you're if you're flying a plane, and you want to know what the weather's like, you know? And so I look at a lot of what I do in reading as a church leader, but then also as a, as a writer, as helping, wanting to know for myself, for the ministry context that I'm in, but then also wanting to, to pass on some helpful information to others to help people know, like, what's going on culturally that I need to be aware of, some of these bigger trends and things, so that I can be the most faithful pastor that God has called me to be. And so it really... The intellectual life of a pastor ought to connect with a real missionary zeal and passion, I think. That's really good, Trevin. And so how do you do that? Like, how do you go about keeping yourself? How would someone, maybe not you, but how often should someone read? How do we go about keeping ourselves up to date? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think that everybody is called to the exact same kind of intellectual life as a pastor. So, I mean, obviously, we're in the Word all the time because we've, we've got to preach, and we've got sermons to prepare, devotionals to give, funerals to, to do, all of that. But some of that is, is sort of forced upon us. We've got, we've got to be men of study to some level just because we're in God's Word and we're tasked with delivering God's Word. But so I, I wouldn't say that you know all pastors need to become pastor theologian types in the sense of that they need to get you know a doctor of ministry or a PhD or something. I think different people have different callings, but everybody should be developing the life of the mind. That's and the reason is is because when you're in pastoral ministry, I mean you know you've got to be able to give a timely word in so many different spheres and and areas. And it's so easy to dry up when you're giving and giving and giving and constantly communicating and communicating and, you know, casting vision and, and preaching and without filling the tank, the creativity ultimately can get zapped and theologically and doctrinally our hearts can, we can begin to grow stale and cold. And so I don't think necessarily that the solution to that is that everybody needs to you know, to, to go back to seminary. But I do think reading as a discipline, as a spiritual exercise, can be one of the ways that we love God with our minds. I think reading people who read a lot, which, I mean, I, you know, Jimmy says I read a lot. Well, there are people that read a lot more than me, and I like to read them, because sometimes when they're talking about books, it 
teach me from having to read the book. You know, like I can, I can actually know something about something because someone else who has done a good review or has kind of helped me get the gist of something or follow an argument. There's shortcuts and ways to to stay on top of things without necessarily having to read, you know, five hours a day, which I I don't think any of us have that time. So, you know, different ways, but the, the point is the life of the mind needs to be cultivated as part of how we love God and how we love others. And so we ought to look for ways to develop that. All right. So there's a lot of our listeners, they're, they're family people. They have kids. They have a husband. They have a wife. They're serving in a church somewhere. Do you have any recommendations when you talk about discipline on how much or how often somebody should try to read? Yeah, I hesitate to say anything on that just because I wouldn't want to load someone down with false burdens or guilt or kind of, because, you know, the, this, this is going to be different for different people depending on stages of life and kids and all sorts of stuff. But I think all of us have time to read every day. Okay. I mean, we just do. If we, I mean, if we've got time to scroll through Facebook or Twitter, or if we've got time to, you know, play a couple of rounds of Candy Crush or what, you know, or watch some Netflix in the evening. I mean, we, I think we all do have time, no matter how busy we are. And my recommendation would be not to throw out this, hey, everybody ought to read two hours a day kind of a thing, but to say, you know, set a goal, maybe that seems reasonable, attainable for how much you'd like to read the, the next year it would be a good way to, to start if you don't really see yourself as a reader, but think that that's a discipline you need to, to grow in and then go for it. And it's amazing if you, I mean, just 30 minutes a day with a book on the nightstand or, you know, a book in, in your living room or something, or even, you know, a, an audio book on your commute and things. It's amazing the amount that you actually, the amount of books that you can read in a, you can generally read a book or two a week just doing that. Now, obviously, it depends on the size of the book and things like that. But I, the ones I, I have, you could read them pretty quick. Out. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What did you say? I said some of the books that I have, I could read them really quick. Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah. one, of, one of the questions I have, Trev, and they're like, all right, so I used to be a professor at a seminary. I have a PhD. When I was in that world, I always knew what kinds of books to read because I was with colleagues every day that were discussing different kinds of books. I was there at different lectures and authors would come in. But when you're a pastor at a local church, not in the seminary orbit, like it's much more difficult to me for me to even figure out what I should yep. be reading. Is do you have any advice for just your rank and file ministry leaders out there on some ways that they could determine what kinds of books they do? So I love your suggestion. Read something every day. Maybe thirty minutes is a place to start. But like, okay, but what do I actually read that would increase the life of the mind? I don't think we're talking about you know like detective novels that you buy at the airport. So what are we talking about? Well, I would not discount just detective novels because ah. um, you know my favorite author <laughs> Chesterton wrote a lot of detective fiction. So I, you know, I'm all about Father Brown. <laughs> but I would say read for enjoyment at one level. It shouldn't just be a discipline; it ought to be something that that grows. There, there's a, a great book by Alan Jacobs called "The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction," and there's something to be said for just the pleasure of it. So, yeah, you know, read for fun. That should be one thing. But yeah, what the kind of reading we're talking about, where we're developing the intellectual life, you know, developing the life of the mind. Here's the best suggestion to figure out what to read, and that is get magazines. And I know we're in a day where people are like, "What you're talking about magazines." I mean, a couple of like anchor, like key magazines of things that are of interest to church leaders, public thinkers. I'm, I subscribe to, to more than I probably 
need to or should. But one of my, my top 10 books of last year, for example, was this new biography from David Blight on Frederick Douglass. It's really one of the biggest and most exhaustive biographies of Douglass that have come out really in, in recent decades. And the reason I knew I wanted to read that book was because I saw it mentioned in National Review, which is a more conservative-leaning magazine. I saw it mentioned in The Atlantic, which is more of a you know, left left of center leaning magazine. I saw it mentioned in First Things, which is a public intellectual kind of a, a journal that's very much about you know religion and public life. And then I saw a couple of people that I follow on on social media on the Gospel Coalition that are thoughtful readers talking about the importance of this biography. Well, when I see four different mentions, recommendations, reviews of one particular book from a variety of streams, not just one. To me, that's a sign. It's like, okay, that's an important book. And if, I, if I'm if i already interested in that topic, obviously Frederick Douglass is a great American, one of the greatest Americans, but but also for the what this might mean and the cause of racial reconciliation, race relations even today, there's some things applicable today because of that. To me, if I'm following a variety and listening to a variety of voices and I'm the best books start to rise to the surface and, and you start to see them reviewed in different places. You hear people talking about them. And so even if you're not in that seminary environment, there are ways in which you can replicate by finding people that you trust their judgment and listening in on the conversations they're having about the books they're reading. And then you can kind of decide, hey, should I read that book? Is that, is that one I should pick up or not? And th- for me, that's been really helpful. I really like to, that. Uh, yeah. To have that. I feel like you just gave us some shortcuts there because you mentioned a little while ago that there are some shortcuts to this. So I feel like that's some of your shortcuts. I mean, looking at magazines, looking at social media and staying in touch with the culture, which you talked about earlier. So I like those suggestions just for somebody who needs a way to figure out how to do this herself. All right. So if a pastor... Trevin is leading a team, and a lot of pastors do, whether that's volunteers or paid teams, or if you're some kind of ministry leader, uh, what kind of books would be good for you to read with a team? What would you recommend, and what do you do with your team? Well, I think it's important to read read widely. So, I mean, in a pastoral team, obviously, you know, you're going to read some books about theology and church practice and some of the just the basics that are important. But there's also, I mean, just some really great leadership titles. And some, again, this is where if you diversify in the kind of magazines you read or blogs you follow and things, you can see, you can really get some good insight into just different leadership skills that would serve you well in multiple kinds of contexts, especially if you're leading a team. And I tend to share articles more than books. Probably a few times a year, I'll tell some of the the main leaders on my team, hey, you all need to read this and we're going to come back and discuss it. I tend to, and you, you may have seen this, but some leadership books basically were they were great as articles. And the first chapter of the book is amazing. And then like the rest, the rest of the book is like filler. You know, it's like, well, that was really a great article. And someone had the idea that that should be a book. And so it became a book, but you're fine with the article. A lot of leadership books are like that. And so I think it's, a, it's important if we want to develop not only the life of the mind, but also cultivate our own skills as leaders and become the best leaders we can be. We need to be reading even, you know, secular books that have some really good insights into just what's effective, what is effective in leadership. Obviously, we read that with a Christian worldview and and with a a filter. Not everything translates and carries over, but, you know, a lot of just 
effectiveness as far as leading a team is effective no matter what context you find yourself in. All right, so Trevin, let's get down to the chase here. We've got a lot of people who are listening right now and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't read anything. You know, I barely read Sports Illustrated, but I do watch ESPN frequently. What are three books that every pastor or ministry leader should read? So if you were prescribing, okay, I want to make sure that all Church for the Rest of Us listeners have read these three books at least, what what would those be? You know, this uh, you, you sent over some, some sample questions, and this is one that I've had the hardest time thinking about an answer to as I've looked at these, just because I feel like this answer could be different for, for different people. But so I just kind of go back to what, what do I think have been just amazing, fruitful books in my own life? And one of those would be Augustine's Confessions, multiple translations now. There are newer translations. Every couple of years, I'm back, I'm back reading Confessions. Um, it, the reason is, is because it is the kind of book that will stretch your mind but it's also the kind of book that puts you in the really in the in the shadow of of a great one of the world's greatest intellectuals, one of the Christian church's greatest intellectuals, but a heart that is on fire, on fire for knowing God and loving Jesus. And so there's this coming together of intellectual knowledge and fire. It's just it, extraordinary there. So confessions would be one orthodoxy. I think Chesterton's orthodoxy is the first time you read it, you you might not understand it. <laughs> that was at least the experience for me. I was like, I know this is gold and there's treasures here in these sentences and stuff, but it's pretty astounding the contribution that that book would make. And then I would recommend actually a, I think it's the greatest novel of all time, but Les Miserables by Victor Hugo has about some of the greatest portrayal of grace and some of the greatest characters in history and i as pastors you know we've got to appeal not only to the mind but to the imagination and so a book like that that's you know 1300 pages long get a newer translation but i mean it's a deep dive but it's a studying of the character of the soul of the heart of so many of the people that are in it and i think there's there's something to be said for us being the kind of people who i mean we do soul care so great great literature that has stood the test of time ought to be something that we would gravitate toward because this is who we are as pastors. We, we want to get to, to people's hearts. Does so, it count those, if, are the three, those are the three I think about. Does it count if you've seen the movie or the play? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say <laughs> the book is so much, so much more better. intense. Oh. Yeah. yeah. You know, like everyone always says, exactly. oh, the book was so much better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Trevin, if somebody's listening to this and they say, man, I'm on a zero on a scale from one to 10. And when it comes to my reading and investing in the life of the mind, the way that you're describing, what, what are some simple steps that he or she could take to just move the needle? How could they go from a zero to a two? How could they get something started in this area? First, start with books that you really enjoy reading. I mean, you're, you're never going to read a lot if it feels like a duty to you all the time, like an obligation only. People that read a lot have come to the place they love to read. They love the experience. They love what they learn. And until you get to the place you love it, you're never going to do it a lot. So the first thing that you got to start with is find some some topics or some books or some things that you're interested in. And if you start a book and you don't like it, put it down and find something until you do, until you start to really love the discipline. So that's, that's number one. Two, I would say 
prompt yourself to read. Have, you know, get yourself a subscription to Audible if you've got a commute and you want to listen to, you know, an audiobook. Because if you're paying 15 bucks a month or whatever it is, that may prompt you to say, hey, I need to get my money's worth this month. I'm paying the subscription to read, you know. And so that can actually prompt you to start listening to books. And that's one way to work your way through some titles. Another thing would be to prompt yourself with where you put books, you know, to have the kind of book on your nightstand or, you know, at a certain place in your house where you're going to or go to a certain place where you're going to read. There's that. And then, you know, lastly, I would just say start small. Don't think you've got to read two hours a day to become like this massive reader, just read, you know, if it's 15 minutes a day, if that's your goal at first, that's fine. You know, like it's, we have to do this with, we do this with, with Bible reading and prayer. It's just adding, it's a little bit of discipline to your day. It's kind of like, you know, would you go work out three times a week or four times a week or whatever, it needs to become part of your routine. And then once you've got 15 minutes a day and you kind of have gotten that rhythm down, that's when you might start adding more, you start to develop the taste for it, you like it more, you want to read more, you'd rather, I mean, when you get to the point you'd rather read than play the game or watch Netflix or something, then that's where you, you start to, to see this virtuous cycle take place and you, you begin to move forward into where you want to read more and more. So start small and then watch it grow. Trevin, I'm so grateful you're willing to spend this time with us on Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Where's the best place to find Trevin Wax online in order to connect with the things that you're writing about and the things that you're thinking? So I write a column for the Gospel Coalition. The easiest way to get there is just my name, TrevorWax.com. It'll take you right to, to the column. But then I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, just Trevin Wax on both of those. I have one of those you know, Unique really names. common names yeah. that I have to have all sorts of, uh, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> underscores and dots and no, really right. I don't just Trevin Wax and, and you'll, you'll find me in, in those places. I'd, I'd love to connect with some of the listeners. Yeah. And I, I do read what you write on Gospel Coalition. I do follow you on Twitter and I'm very grateful for all of your public ministry and I'm grateful for our friendship, Trevin. It means a lot to me. So listeners, there you have it. If you want to develop yourself as a reader so that you can be a better leader, Trevin has just given us some really, really great advice. Maybe you can become a million word reader this year, Leslie. Right. What do you think? I'm going to go for it. All right. I'm going to read Lay Mertzorab. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you, too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.